Hey sister, this is Misty Williams, founder of HealingRosie.com, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Rosie Radio. Tune in to find clarity, direction, and hope for your healing. New episodes drop every Tuesday. We created this show to empower you to regain control of your life and feel like yourself again. Yes, sister, it is possible. All right, you guys, I'm here with my dear friend, Dr. Marisa Snyder, my sister from another mister. Is that even a thing? I don't even know how that works exactly. I think it's but... from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't rhyme. It doesn't I know rhyme. It doesn't. Um, I love talking to Dr. Marisa about all things health and hormones because she really gets the female experience and what it's like to be a woman navigating this journey. And we're going to talk about a topic that has been getting lots of airtime in our space, not just lately, it, it kind of goes in waves where I feel like we talk heavily about metabolic flexibility and then the conversation wanes and then it comes back really strong again. You know, we're talking about metabolic flexibility and what does that mean? And I can tell you as someone who has really struggled metabolically because uh, it turns out I had mercury toxicity and mold and, you know, all these other things that were um, undetected for a very long time. Um, I thought of myself as someone who had a, a broken metabolism or my metabolism isn't as good as other people. And I thought of that in the sense of like fat burning and, you know, just the ability to release weight or the ability to, or just the energy, you know, there's times that I've, sometimes I feel really high energy. And then there's other times that I am like the, the wheels are off the bus. I am broken right now. I'm just exhausted. Right. So there's a whole lot to this very loaded term metabolism and to this idea or concept of metabolic flexibility. And I'm excited today to have this conversation with Dr. Marisa, because we're going to take a look at this through the lens of, of a woman's biology. Um, we're going to talk about this um, through the lens of um, maybe perimenopause and menopause dealing with a lot of hormonal changes um, in our bodies as we get older. And this is going to be a really empowering conversation. One of the things I always love about Dr. Marisa, she can talk about these complex scientific ideas, these health topics that are, you know, really geeky. And she can also get really practical with you. Like, here's the things like, let's just cut to the chase here. Here's what, here's what you can do. Here's the things that are really important to do. So we're going to have a little science geeky, and we're going to have a little bit of practical, hey, man, let's dear Abby this, answer some questions and, you know, show me how it's done. So this is going to be a fantastic conversation today. Dr. Marisa Snyder is a functional practitioner, women's hormone expert, and the author of eight books. The newest one, The Essential Oils Menopause Solution, focuses on solutions for women in perimenopause and menopause. And the number one national best-selling book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution, focuses on balancing women's hormones naturally. Other best-selling books are The Smart Mom's Guide to Essential Oils and The Dash Diet Cookbook, all of which we will link in our show notes today. And I'm super excited you're here, Dr. Marisa. Yay, me too. I am really excited to dive into the geeky and then most importantly, what we can do now and in the next seven days to really start to create transformations. Girl, you know me, I'm all about the quick and easy wins and we yes. all deserve them. Yes, yes. Well, let's just talk about this. Let's talk about metabolism. Let's just yeah. start with like the, the fundamental piece of metabolic flexibility. What is metabolism anyway? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the ability for our body to take substrates, whether they are sugar substrates, carbohydrate substrates, or they are protein substrates, which isn't often protein. If we have too much protein, that will convert over to sugar. We have a um, through gluconeogenesis. And then we have what I call like the long-term reserves, which is our fat substrates. And all of that happens in the mitochondria. And that is really the conversation I want to lead us to which is mitochondrial health, like all real metabolism, although clearly processes are happening in the cells all over the, all over the place all the time, like for our cells to do any minor little, you know, process, go through any kind of pathway, break anything down that requires metabolic function that requires some level of energy for you. And I did even just look at each other for you. And I to like wink at each other that required millions and millions and millions of cells to all use metabolic function, break, break down substrates into energy to do that. And so when it, when it comes down to metabolism, it really all dials down to our mitochondria and, and, and their ability to shift between burning um, carbohydrate glucose substrates and fat substrates, right? Those are, that's what it's going to come down to. And the more that we're able to shift, you know, when your mitochondria Mitochondria can pull from our fat storage and then or pull from our sugar storage, whether it's glycogen from the liver or we're pulling it from the, the muscles, um, that level of, of our ability to switch back and forth just gives our body flexibility in the sense that we can have long-term energy. And how that shows up is we don't crash at 11.30 a.m. or we don't crash between 3 and 4 p.m. We wake up feeling refreshed and energized. I mean, who doesn't want to wake up feeling good? And that has everything to do with how healthy our mitochondria are. Now, food is just one of the major, one of the major areas for our mitochondria to be healthy. There are a lot of other ways that our mitochondria can struggle. Like they can go into stranger danger mode as I like to call them. Um, and then there's ways that we can really create a more robust, more healthy, we, we can actually build out our mitochondrial reserve in every cell in the body. And I have no problem getting into that as well. So what I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you talk is the women, uh, you know, floppy, floggy and fatigued. We can all describe our symptoms and what we're feeling, what we're dealing with, um, especially as we start moving into perimenopause and menopause. Um, we're experiencing a lot of these symptoms. What's happening at the mitochondrial level that is setting off that sequence of events that eventually leads to us feeling flabby, foggy and fatigued? Absolutely. So really what's going on in a, on a mitochondrial level is one, they are retiring out. They're just not working properly. They're, they're, they're just, you know, they, they are, they aren't firing on all cylinders the way that they should. Um, and then we're also not making more, we're not making, we're losing them and not replacing them. And so like any other part of the cell, um, it all wears down, right? We replace cells, we replace mitochondria and, um, and as, as either toxins, whether it is perceived stress that we're dealing with, right? The multitude of our uh, lifestyle is wearing on us. I think of women, you know, we are usually the common denominator 
here for everything in life. Um, and it all lands on our plate. So how we're managing that, the foods that we're consuming, particularly hydrogenated fats and, and processed refined sugar is going to gunk up those mitochondria. Um, next is if we have minerals and vitamin deficiencies where the cofactors that mitochondria need to function just aren't simply not there. It's kind of like if you were ever baking a chocolate cake and someone gave you all the ingredients, but they left out the eggs and the cacao, like the, the chocolate itself and the baking <laughs> soda. You can't make a chocolate cake without those ingredients. Same thing with the mitochondria. We don't have the right building blocks. We don't have enough CoQ10. We don't have enough magnesium. We don't have the, the, um, the NAD. We don't have the, the, the B vitamins, you know, B vitamins are such major energizing, like they're required as cofactors to run these reactions. We don't have these building blocks. Well, mitochondria really can't work off what it, they don't have. Um, other, other things that are going to have an impact on mitochondria is, is, is not getting a break. They don't do well if you're constantly snacking all day long. They need a break. That's why intermittent fasting is so beneficial for mitochondria. It's giving them the opportunity to clean up shop and to repair. Um, other things is, you know, types of hormesis like um like saunas or cold showers is great for mitochondria being outside is great for mitochondria so getting sunlight walking outside is great um also stressing those muscles you know we lose muscle mass starting in our 30s and our muscle is an organ of longevity so if we don't maintain that muscle mass work our mitochondria are going to feel that and then toxins like you said you talked about having a mold toxicity you talked about having a heavy metal toxicity. Let me tell you, your mitochondria did not appreciate that at they all. They did not appreciate it. I can definitely tell you that's true. <laughs> they They're just like hell, stranger danger. Like I think of, I think of mitochondria as the divas of yourself and they, they operate in an ideal, they, they want specific things in order to function optimally. And when that isn't happening, they're kind of the litmus test for whether you've got energy or not. And what's really fascinating about mitochondria is this is my, probably my favorite fact about them is we, on average, we have about two to 3000 per cell in the body on average, an average cell, but in the brain, there's up to 10,000, but where we have the majority, like the most mitochondria per cell in both men and women is women in our ovaries. And not surprised there because you think about the, the process of getting pregnant, just running the menstrual cycle every single month is such an energetic driven process. It requires so much energy to do it. Um, and then the, you add like the pregnancy of actually creating a human being, such a massive process. And so where we need the majority of energy is going to be in our ovaries more than any men and women that's where we are, are the majority. So it's no wonder when we're struggling with stress or we're struggling with, with, a, a, you know, a quote unquote, a broken metabolism. Um, we don't have the right nutrients. We start to notice that one of our big vital signs, our menstrual cycle isn't working properly. Like isn't, isn't running the way that we would love it to run, or maybe it wasn't, it's not running the way that it used to run. And that has a lot to do with how our mitochondria are showing up there too. One of the things that's been a recent geek out for me, and I'm probably late to the party on this one um, by some standards, is I recently did a hair tissue mineral analysis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hear all the talks 
about how important magnesium is and potassium is. And I mean, I was, I'm taking a lot of things. Yes. And it was very <laughs> confronting to actually look at my test results and be like, what do you mean my magnesium's off the charts, but I'm not absorbing it. <laughs> right. What do you mean? I need how much more potassium do I need? <laughs> so I'm a really big fan alongside this conversation, what you're speaking about here for women and our hormone health and for our mitochondrial function to find out what's happening in your body around, around minerals, because, um, it's, it's just so, so important for us to have optimal mineral levels. And it's, um, confronting to know that you've been spending a lot of money on minerals and finding out, Oh, I need to take, um, some B vitamins here. I'm not getting, these aren't being absorbed or yeah. Oh, I thought I was taking enough, but it's like not even close. And yeah. It's pretty crazy, especially with, you know, we, you think about minerals in particular, they're such a power player. We need them for the propagation of neurons, the propagation of information. We need them for mitochondrial pathways. We need them for liver detoxification path. I mean, like you think about mineral like magnesium alone, what 600 th- that we know of processes, mm-hmm. you know, potassium, sodium, uh, and we burn through it. If you are operating in, I got to get shit done mode, then most likely you are burning through what you got. You know, we can, we can only, we can only hold on to so many reserves. And so one might think, well, man, I'm taking so much of this, but also I am firing on so many areas of my life and what looks like productivity to your body is like, I can barely keep up. You know, and so we have to think about that. If we're going to operate at a high level, we've got to, we got to step up what it takes to maintain that high level. And especially for the overachieving women, I know you're listening out there who wear all the hats, your mom, your, your wife, your daughter, your PTA mom, your homeroom mom, your, you know, all the things you have careers, you're running companies like. We are used to go, 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 go. And as we get older, one of the things that stops, 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 stops is that get up and go and that energy, you know? And it's really, I can tell you as someone who's wired that way, when my when my body is not responding and I feel, I can feel my batteries are low, I can feel that I don't have the energy to do what what is in my being to do, it's such a frustrating, frustrating experience and Um, this is a really important biohack that Dr. Marisa is dropping right now, because I know it makes a huge difference since I started, um, really focus on mineral optimization. Everything's better. My sleep is better. I actually think I don't quite need as much sleep. Mm, um, I still think we need a lot of sleep. I mean, that girl, I get like nine hours plus a night. I am, I am asleep. So for me to wake up at like seven and a half, eight hours, like I'm done. I hear that. My body's okay. I'll take the extra 30 minutes, the extra hour. Yeah, those, I mean, nutrient deficiencies, managing those, keeping those, we we often need way more than, we, we just, we're more deficient than we think we are, especially if we're running. And there's nothing worse than that discrepancy of like you knowing on a mental level that you have capacity, but on a physical level, you yeah. just can't show up the way that you're, and it's, yeah. it's the most frustrating thing to be like, 
but I used to be able to operate at this level. And yeah. why can't I operate at this level now? And, and, and we, it ties to our worth or lack of worth. Mm-hmm. We feel yeah. like we're less than because we can't operate it this way. Um, and that just lends into a, that, that can be more of a downward spiral than we would love. Um, yeah. But it's, it's really about if we, we know the tools and we can hone the tools to really nourish our bodies, to dial into that, not those non-negotiables for ourselves, we can really turn the tide in. And I think to me, for me, it's more, you know, I, I would care more. I care more about energy than, than having a lean body. Like I just want to be able to do the things Mm -hmm. that I love to do that I not only need to do, but that, that move me forward. And so I think energy is always a worthy conversation. Yeah. Energy is king. It is. Yeah. You have, you have a nice lean body, but you don't have to get up and go and you can't do things. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of women who would make that trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. We're talking about our metabolism here, how it works. We're getting down to the level of our mitochondria, talking about how important minerals are to mitochondrial function. We talked a little bit here about toxicity too, and how important it is for all of us really to get a handle on our stressors and our toxicity. I think both of those things are, are killers. What are some ways from a, from both a clinical perspective and a, you're a woman who's navigating all this perspective. Um, what are some ways that you think it's really important for women who are listening to this conversation? Like, how do you optimize all of that? How Hmm. do you, how do you really get your mitochondria functioning powerfully? And how do you kick up your metabolism when you know you're in a slump? What are your recommendations? So, yeah, I will give you what I consider to be the biggest needle movers. And I think that first step is just saying to yourself that I deserve I deserve the energy and I'm willing to, to focus on that. I'm willing to get clear on my non-negotiables because let me tell you the, if you, if, if you were ever me, I'm in my twenties and my thirties and I had severe mitochondrial dysfunction, it's severe chronic fatigue, woke up unable to get out of bed. I'll tell you what, I got really clear that what I had been doing hasn't, hadn't been working, you know, and, and what I had been doing was saying no to the non-negotiables. I just kept saying, I didn't have time. I don't have time mm-hmm. for that. I was like, I only had time for that at some point because yeah. that's all I could do. Yeah. And so, you know, I just want to really state that if there's something in you that's pulling at you of like, Oh, I just don't have time for this. I'm, t- I'm telling you, you don't have time not to do it yeah. because the, the trajectory is not great. You know, what it's going to look like in a decade from now, you know, it's, I want, I want you to keep running at full speed for as long as you can do. So this is to my high achievers out there right now. And so that first step, I think for me, it is, it is starting in the morning. I, I, I think it has everything to do with managing your blood sugar, setting the tone for your day and, and really focusing on you. So I think in the morning, um, you, whether you got to get up a little bit earlier than everybody else, or you've got support supporting you, I I'll be honest with you. I got support supporting me. I have a toddler, right. And, um, and I would not be able to do a lot of these things if I didn't have a, I have a support system. I have a nanny who helps me out. But in the morning, it starts off. I always do a 12-hour minimum circadian fast because I want to give my mitochondria a break. I want to give my whole body a break. And also, I want to make sure that I at dinner is the last time I eat. So I try to eat as early as possible, usually around 6 p.m., um, so that that gives me until 10 a.m. the next day to really reset the system. 
also gives my brain an opportunity to clean up shop, gives my cells an opportunity, definitely gives my mitochondria an opportunity to kind of let do their thing. Um, and then the next day I, I get up, I drink a big glass of water with lemon and I really focus on like, how can I set the tone for my day? One of my favorite quotes is by Louise Hayes, which she said, how you start your morning is how you live your day. How you live your day is how you live your life. And basically how that translated to me was like, however your morning starts is the way that your life is going to unfold. And so for me, it was always when I was younger, it was chaos. It was running out the door. It was trying to do many things at once. And, and I realized that I had to really set the tone, set the intention. So when the first part of my day, I drink that big glass of water with lemon, I go outside, I walk for 30 minutes, I meditate for 10. Um, Cause I can, I can do that. I can meditate for 10 minutes. I got that. And then I come home and I have a metabolically healthy breakfast. So I do not eat dessert for breakfast. I do not eat car uh, co carbs for breakfast, refined sugar for breakfast. I don't put sugar in my coffee. Um, it is usually leftovers from the night before. So it's, it's nothing sexy, but it's, it's always protein focused. Um, usually fish, like salmon. Um, it's a big, sexy, diverse salad or like a medley of, of roasted vegetables. And it is olive oil or avocado, some healthy fats. Because I know that if I can set the tone in my morning breakfast, that I can keep my blood sugar level pretty much throughout the entire day. Um, if I start my morning with sugar in my coffee, or I have a bagel with cream cheese, or I have any, any refined carbohydrate or refined sugar, I've seen it. I've seen it on a continuous glucose monitor. It'll take 36 to 36 to 48 hours to recover from that meal. And every other meal after that lunch, lunch could be the, the, the breakfast I just described. I'll still spike lunch breakfast or dinner could be the, bre the breakfast I just described. It could still spike because if I, I, if I ate a sugar breakfast, it is going to mess me up whether I eat healthy for the rest of the day for up to two days. And so I think it's super important for people to notice that what you do in the morning is going to set the tone for the next two days of your life. And for me, I would say the majority of my 20s, I spent just chasing blood sugar crashes and, and, and spikes. That's all I was doing. Breakfast was a kind bar a little bit of sugar in my Americano spiked 1130. I was about to kill somebody because I was so hungry, ate a little some, some, then have lunch. And then my major, my nasty crash was always at two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And the only way to crawl out of that pit of exhaustion was caffeine and sugar. And then it was, it was, it was dinner with wine. And then I started the whole thing over again, over and over. I was literally on a one, I had, I had got one ticket on the blood sugar roller coaster and I just <laughs> rode that sucker for a decade. And, <laughs> and I wondered what was going on with my hormones the whole time. Um, and so it, you know, what we do in our morning is everything, how we move our bodies, the way we, we supplement, how we feed our bodies, it's going to set, it's not only going to set the tone for what happens and paces you for the day, but it's going to have repercussions for the next day and the day after. So I think that would be the, the number one thing I would always just tell women is that I say batch your food, leftovers for breakfast, it's, it's, it's dinner in the morning, you know, whenever you break your fast and make it as savory as possible, make it protein focused as possible so that you are feeling so good moving into the rest of your day. 
and then move your body, journal, do whatever self-care is necessary to just get you focused on what matters to you, focus on your priorities, and then rock those out. And then in the evening, my big recommendation is eat as early as you possibly can. Girl, I don't got wiggle room. I ain't going to lie, Misty. I've, I've looked at my CGM many times. And I don't know if it's because I was eating sugar since I was like a year old, you know, but, at, but I know now that I don't have a lot of room to play. And at, at almost 43 years old, um, I, I can, it can all look really great. And even if I eat a metabolically healthy dinner, um, at dinner, um, if I eat it too late, I'm still going to potentially spike my glucose. I'm going to essentially spike my blood sugar because my body's like, dude, we have got nowhere to put this. We're not, you're not <laughs> walking. You're not running after dinner. Like we're in, we're in like major repair time. We're in like wind down time. Are you really putting substrates in me right now when I'm trying to chill out? And so we, I've learned Alex and myself, my husband and myself, that if we can eat before six or around six and then take a walk, walk after dinner, it's a game change. We can keep our blood sugar stable. We feel great. Um, we go to bed feeling great. And, um, and there's no crazy blood sugar variability. And over like we notice in, in a matter of weeks, we just feel like different people. So I want to talk a little bit about the continuous glucose monitor that mm -hmm. you just mentioned. Um, let's talk about, um, I, I have actually never, it's been on my mind the last two or three months. It's time for me to do a continuous glucose monitor. It is. So it's this so will time. be something that I'm sure I will dive into on future episodes and talk about my experience with it. Uh, but I've certainly have enough friends doing this, um, and have heard about their revelations, um, that I appreciate the power of, of what you learn um, by putting one on. So why don't you just give us a little education here? Tell us about the continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. How does it work? Maybe a couple of the other things that you learned um, that were surprising. So I put one on about six months postpartum. I was really curious. My, I have a lot of family members with type two diabetes, a lot, and, and some very near, like really close to me. Um, and, and family members who were showing high levels of insulin resistance via their hemoglobin A1C. And so uh, in talking about like my mama or my, my husband's mom or, you know, or my sister, like these were talking about, these are like my women. You know, yeah. in my life. And so, and I was thinking about all the years that I struggled with hormone issues and how I really blamed it on my stress response system. But then I thought to myself, what if it wasn't just my stress response system? What if, if I was on a sugar roller coaster? I was on a sugar yo yo. And um, like my mama and my sister. So I put the CGM on and learned very quickly that I had very little wiggle room. It didn't take a lot to spike my blood sugar. So talk a little bit about what a CGM is. It's a device that you put on your arm or maybe on your stomach. Um, and it is detecting in real time the interstitial fluid, the glucose inside of that fluid. And at any given time, you can scan it. 
and it will read what's going on. Now, a blood sugar response happens about two to three hours after a meal. So you can kind of see what goes on. And in over that time, when you first get one, you're just going to be scanning it all day long, probably like a hundred times just to kind of see what happens. Because you're curious. And, yeah, you're super curious. And you're going to be curious about trends. I I tested a lot of theories with it, um, you know, and, and really got Will a good sense Will it really of crash if I eat this donut? Yes. Will it really <laughs> crash if I just, you know, just have a little bit of sugar in something or will it really, you know, some of my biggest aha moments um, was, you know, no surprise, but kind of a surprise for me was anytime I loved sweet potatoes. They're on my autoimmune protocol. They're on my gut and liver protocols. Um, and I thought they were super safe. Um, little did I know anytime I eat sweet potatoes, I spike. I spike. And so this was a good lesson. So I, I realized that even, even foods that seemed innocuous to me, that seemed pretty safe, um, I did not have a, a tolerance for those foods. And everybody's different. But what I really walked away from was that I really lacked a lot of the metabolic flexibility that I thought I had. And so all of a sudden, there was a lot of foods that I had, I had been eating for many, many years that I thought were very safe, that at the end of the day, if your blood sugar is spiking, your blood sugar spiking. And what we know is that like 90 plus percent of us are spiking on a consistent basis into the diabetic levels. And that's anything above 140 milligrams per deciliter. In an ideal world, when you're wearing the CGM and you're wearing it consistently, that sweet spot is between 110 milligrams per deciliter and 70 milligrams per deciliter. You love your fasting blood sugar every morning to be in the 70s or in the low 80s. But anytime you eat a meal, that it doesn't go past 110. And, you know, and so often... In a lot of people's scenarios, we're seeing that be the case. As we get older as women, as we enter perimenopause, we, we have some protective hormones that keep us more sensitive, testosterone and estrogen, growth hormone, human growth hormone. These are all protectors, but they start to precipitously drop in our 40s and even in our late 30s. And as those drop, we really need to be more reliant on that metabolic flexibility because we become more insulin resistant. And so for me, especially depending on what habits you had in your teens or in your 20s, you could be more insulin resistant than others. And so what I had learned was that, oh my gosh, I, I really, I do have insulin resistance, period. And that, that um, you know, if, if ever I, there was, I tried, I remember trying like 15 different protein bars, talking about keto protein bars, almost only protein bars. I spiked every single time I ate a protein bar, you know? And so it was really fascinating to me, like how quickly I did it. And also what I, what the other big fascination was I would, I would be super good, super in, in that realm. But then if I had dinner at seven or anything later than seven, it didn't matter what it was. I still spiked, you know? And so it was really, it, it's always good for each and every person the most interesting thing, though, was that my husband, Alex, had had less flexibility than I did. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it can, especially as we get older, the less protection that we have and the more it begins really critical to dial it in. And so the big needle movers for me that I learned about wearing the CGM is, again, protein, fiber, healthy fats stay in that realm. You know, that's my, that's my sweet spot for sure. Um, and that breakfast 
always a metabolically healthy breakfast, always a savory breakfast. If I ever, like, I remember one day I had, there's this really wonderful cafe here and they make, it's an all organic gluten-free cacao. They whip their coconut. I mean, it's like all the fancy things you can imagine, all the beautiful berries, you know, um, and like honey as a, a little sweetener. I remember eating this waffle thinking that, you know, it's, it's a, this protein cacao waffle. It's all these things. And, um, I watched my blood sugar go all the way up to 150. And then it took me two days eating super clean the rest of the day, two days to recover from that super, what was sold to me as a really healthy waffle experience. Um, it didn't matter. My blood, my, my body and my blood sugar was like, uh, uh, no, that doesn't work. Uh, and so that was my big takeaway was that having a metabolically healthy, savory breakfast sets the tone for the rest of my day. And always as much as I could eating as early as possible for dinner and walking after dinner, walking after dinner has been the game change for, for myself and, and anyone I've been, I've been coaching through wearing the CGM. So I actually have heard from quite a few people that they were surprised at what actually spiked their blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember talking to one of our mutual friends who had the same experience with sweet potatoes. They were a sweet potato only person. They actually tested sweet potatoes, spiked their blood sugar. Regular potatoes did not, which was really surprising. Um, I think Rob Wolf has a book, Wired to Eat, that goes into um, different ways to test um, what carbs you're sensitive to, what you act, what your body actually um will, will metabolize well. And what really gives you the big spikes that I would think would be kind of a nice companion to. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. To do and I will glucose. say any sweet, any sweets, any dessert, I don't care what kind of healthy dessert it was. It didn't matter, girl. It always spiked me. There was yeah. no getting around it. If I always ate dessert after a robust meal, and then walked afterwards, I could keep and maintain my blood sugar. But like it was you had to really pile on the hacks to make sure that your blood sugar didn't spike. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's keep going here. So that yeah. was great. Continuous glucose monitor. Um, definitely put that on your hacks to try. Go ahead. All right. Other hacks. As I mentioned earlier, it's walking, walking after a meal. And I mean, walking has so many incredible benefits. I feel like it's the most underrated, you know, self-care um, health hack that we can do. You know, people always, I always believe that like no pain, no gain. So walking was like, I was just like, no, not walking. ain't going to get the job done. Like, let's get a hit training in. Let's hit it hard. But I have come to really appreciate walking. I walk 30 minutes a day, non-negotiable. I try to walk after dinner every single night um, because that, that's the biggest thing for my buck. Um, and then some other hacks that I really love for helping to dial down or dial in your metabolism or just maintain your blood sugar levels is apple cider vinegar. One of my favorites, um, it doesn't taste great. <laughs> If you don't, I mean, it's not like the best tasting thing in the world, um, but especially taking it in the morning or before a big meal, a meal that you think may spike you. If you decided that tonight it's pizza night, no matter what, where it's going down, you know, having a, a little like a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and four ounces of water, use a straw to not mess up the enamel of your teeth. It can reduce that spike by 30%. Um, another supplement that I really love is berberine. 
Um, so berberine has been shown in multiple studies that it is just as beneficial as metformin for helping to take up glucose to help insulin sensitivity, especially post-meal. It also can reduce a glucose spike by over 30%. So those are just some hacks that you can leverage as well. Uh, and then the other hack that I really, really love is intermittent fasting. That one is a game changer. And I always recommend a good starting place is 12 hours. I talked about that for the mitochondria, but also specifically for helping to stabilize your blood sugar, for helping to um, really give your brain a reset. Um, I, I think a 12-hour fast is very doable. And, you know, if a 12-hour fast is all you can do, then great. But if you can get up to a 16 to 18-hour fast, even better, because then you kick off cellular autophagy, which is really phenomenal for your mitochondria as well. So even though I'm breastfeeding, I do a at least a minimum of a 12-hour fast every single day. Um, and usually it's between 12 and 14 hours for me. I'm a little careful. The research on on intermittent fasting and breastfeeding is, uh, it's, it, we still haven't, like a lot of other women's studies, we've got some work to do there. Yes. Uh, so I always say play it safe, especially if you're a breastfeeding mama, especially if you're pregnant, like, you know, we always side, I did not even do intermittent fasting until um, I was nine months out. Um, I, I just, you know, I ate when I, I was feeding 24 seven at that time. And so again, I just wanted to share my own personal experience in it, but I do believe that after at least six to nine months, if you're still breastfeeding a 12 hour fast can totally work. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've gotten pretty good results with doing a 12 hour fast too. There is, there's a lot of contra not controversy. Um, there's a variety of experiences that women have while intermittent fasting. Yes. And so this is something that I think people should get really educated on and not approach it like, um, because it worked really well for someone else to do a, you know, five hour eating window, then that's what I should be doing. The overachiever in me always wants to do just like you, like, I'm going to go, go hard, go big. What is, we need what's a 20 the, hour yeah. fasted window. All right, let's do it. <laughs> you know, but that isn't always the best thing for our bodies, no, um, it's especially not. when we're still cycling. So especially when we're still cycling, especially if we've got a lot of other stressors on our plate, you know, hands down at, any, at one point in our life, we're going to have hormone imbalances, hormones. They, there's too much at play. There's too much responsible for them to work properly. They're too responsible in running reactions in the body for things to not get gunked up, the things to not get messed up. And in this world that we live in, we, we just can't live in a glass bottle or a glass bubble. You know what I'm saying? Like, everything's going to come at us life agendas emails toxins you know we're going to get exposed to things that inadvertently on accident is going to happen and so it's it's about you know it's real it's also about knowing your body misty and and, it, and it's we're always experimenting I, I think if you're open to that idea of always experimenting then 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 you're not just stuck in like okay i've got to go the hardest you know i got to do the hardest workout i've got to do the hardest fast um especially when it comes to our endocrine system it's so delicate and it and it you know things have got to just be really like that sweet Goldilocks place for things to work well, that extremes do not do well by us. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the woman who is really struggling um, metabolically. Maybe she's 
Um, she has weight because she can't lose. She's trying all the, all the tricks, all the diet, nothing's working. Um, maybe she's trying all the tricks for energy crashes and, you know, whatever else you're doing, the, the lifestyle modifications that we're talking about here. And, um, maybe you're seeing some progress, but it's not giving you the results you really want. What are some, what are some deeper hacks that are really important? Like where would that woman look next? That's such a great question. I, you know, I think, you know, what a lot of us don't realize is that many of us have bigger insulin resistance than we know of that we even that we even have even looked at and that could be a major stopping point given that how critical that particular hormone is um and that you know we think we have a, like i said i think we think we have a lot more wiggle room than we do we think we can get away with that glass of wine every now and again but maybe we can't or we think mm-hmm. that we can get away with that dessert every now and again but maybe maybe we just don't have that that level of wiggle room and so you know i always think it's worth looking at you know, seeing where your hemoglobin A1C is, seeing seeing what's going on with your lab, seeing there's anywhere to identify, are there major nutrient deficiencies that we're just missing the boat on and getting clear? The the one thing I think, you know, a lot of us get shoved to keto or we get, you know, we get pushed in these, these more ex, like extreme diets. And I think we don't realize that again, hormones are at play at all times for us. We're just not small men. We're mm-hmm. not. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it, it, we have to take into account that, yeah, maybe we've got some level of insulin resistance, but we still have to be mindful of these hormones that are, are over here trying to do the best they can too. Um, so I think extreme keto for some of us is just not a go, a go. I think really where we fo- should focus is that, and, and, you know, not an easy path, but that every meal should be a metabolically healthy meal that's supporting the gut and the liver. I think a big part of the missing component for many of us as women is that our liver is just feeling super super sluggish. And then if we don't have a, some of somewhat of a detox component to what we're doing, if we just go heavy keto, it's not alkaline, it's not high fiber, you know, we're just, we're just high protein, high fats that can, we just don't really have the bandwidth for that necessarily. We still need those important carbs. We still need that fiber. We need to be loving up on the gut and liver. So I would always say that if something isn't working, like you're trying all these high high level keto diets that were really designed for men more than us as women, that it's worth looking at the liver and the gut that is mm-hmm. how can we nourish those organs so that our liver is properly building up those hormones and properly breaking them down and metabolizing those hormones. So that's a component. I don't think a lot of us talk about when it comes to getting on a keto plan or, or, you know, restricting carb consumption is that we're not looking at the other big pieces. We're not, looking at adding fermented foods to our diet. We're not looking at really bumping our fiber to 50 grams per day. Um, We're not looking at, you know, what's going to feed the liver, what's going to help support our liver detoxification pathways so that we're clearing out these excess hormones and these excess toxins. So that would be the second step. And then also filling in those nutrient gaps, a, a nutrient and an herb that I'm really obsessed with that can make a massive turnaround in, in 10 days is rhodiola. 
Um, rhodiola is one of those powerful herbs. It's a adaptogenic herb. It's not like ashwagandha. You often people do not have uh, intolerance to rhodiola, but rhodiola, like if you're feeling like you're, it's you're, it's foggy. You've got no word recall. You've got no energy in the tank. Nothing is working, and you're not sure where to start. I would just dosing with 500 milligrams of rhodiola every single day. It has a way of shifting your mood. It has a way of boosting your serotonin levels. It has a way of turning the brain back on. So it doesn't feel like you're just shooting blanks when you're talking to people or wondering where you put your phone or wondering where that next sentence went when you're writing something. Um, and it's going to boost your energy. It's going to turn on some of the most important vital energy centers. So if there was like a supplement or a, a, a magical herb, I would start every woman on, it would be rhodiola. Yeah. So one of the things that's coming up as I'm listening to you talk about all of this is watching my own labs last year is when it kind of peaked and we, I went to my practitioner and was like, listen, we got to figure out why I can't lose this weight and what is going on. My insulin was high, leptin was high, everything was high. We looked up a couple of other markers, um, two inflammatory markers that were showing major inflammation. And she's like, we've got to uncover what this is. And so that's when we found the mold in the fungus. And, you know, fortunately, eight months later, I've been able to like release the weight that I had gained and, you know, all those frustrations. But I just want to mention this in, in light of the conversation we're having, which I think is so powerful. And this is a topic that affects so, so many women, you know, like, what's happening with our metabolism. I have been the woman that got really obsessive about everything that I put in my mouth. I see, I see women in my family who are like this. I see women in our community who are like this. And we're, we're trying to control our metabolism with food alone. And I just want to put on everyone's radar that there are other really big pieces. You just talked about how important the liver was, but when you have big stressors in your life, in your body, mold and metals, you've really got to get these things out of your body so that your body is going to actually function better. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to have this conversation without really emphasizing that because I know there's so many women who are trying so hard with the food, right. And trying so hard with like, you know, what is the magic formula of what I need to do so that I can release and let go or so that I can have more energy. And, um, while, I think a morning routine is really powerful, actually. Um, and we teach a lot about morning routines. And I think routines in general really help us to hit the important points. You know, these are the things we make, need to make sure that we're putting in our body every single day. We also need to look deeper and and see what we can do to give our liver some support and see what we can do to uncover the toxins, make some different decisions about the stress that we're allowing to continue to propagate in our lives, right? Because it, our bodies can only take so much. It yeah. Can you can't, so much. you can't eat your way out of chronic stress. Yeah. You just can't. I mean, can, can you hopefully give your mitochondria a little bit of what they need so that when you hit that stress, it, it's got a little bit of a buffer. Sure. But you absolutely can't. If you are living, if you're, if you're living a life that is just full of, you know, slaying dragons 24 seven, um, it's, you're going to constantly be on high alert. You're going to constantly be driving that stress response system. And at the end of the day, your body is always going to favor survival over anything else. It mm -hmm. always will. And if everything feels like survival, then you're always going to be stuck. Um, 
probably my greatest lesson. And, and it's really important to di- dive deep, dig in. Why is it that I'm operating in survival mode? What, what is it about my past or my childhood that this has become the superpower that I, I am choosing to wield and really dig in? Like, is it a, where is the unworthiness coming from? Where are you? Where is the, I'm just not feeling lovable coming from? I, I had this epiphany moment when um, every time we're running late, I, there's the surge of anxious, anxious, fearful energy in me that just, that overtakes me every, especially doctor's appointments or things like, I I'm like, we need to be on time. My husband, not so much. He likes to be late. I don't like to be late. I've, I've released a lot of it, but there are specific times where, Ooh, I'm lit up if we're not going to, if we're running late. And, um, and now I've been working on sitting with it. Like if I'll feel it come up, it'll, it'll, it'll pit in my stomach. It'll start rising into my brain. And I know now to just calm it down because me firing off at my husband, especially with my child in the car and going to do nobody no favors because it never ends well. <laughs> so, but I wanted to understand why, why is it there? I get this crazy surge of emotion that hits me like a Mack truck when we're running late. Like, where's that from? And, and where it's from is my parents divorced when I was really young and my, my dad, would come from Bakersfield. My mom would come from Orange County and they, we all met in Visalia. That was like the meeting point. And a lot of the time when we were meeting, my mom would be up to three hours late. And my dad would tell my me, my sister and I, that my mom cared so little about us that most likely she was never going to show. And there were days where I thought my mom wasn't going to show up. She wasn't going to arrive. See, and that, that, that I meant so little to her that she could be that late. And he would threaten to turn around and take us back to his house. And this happened all the time. This happened, I I mean, many, many weekends, this was going down. And it got to a point where there was just so much anxiety around if my mom was going to show or not. And, and, And there was so much shame around ever being late to anything that when I finally tapped into this need to be urgently on time everywhere at the sacrifice of my own health, at the sacrifice of my relationship, the deep, it was just this deep shame and fear around my not being worthy of someone showing up for me like my mom. Mm-hmm. And so as we tap into this stuff and we start to realize, well, holy shoot, this is how I'm up. Op- this is why I operate this way in my life. Like, am I on time? Yeah. Does it look good on paper? Sure. But like, how, how well is it doing for my stress response system? And how is it doing in my relationships? What am Mm -hmm. I modeling for my son? Mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, we got to do that deeper work too, of like uncovering. This is just one example of the many things that happen um, Mm -hmm. that I just kind of really got clear on this last couple of weeks of like, what's the driver? Why, why am I pushing myself so hard? Why am, why am, why do I feel the need to have so much going on? to slay so many dragons all the time. You know, what, what if, what if life didn't have dragons to slay? Huh? That's an interesting idea, you know? And so, yeah, there is deeper, deeper stuff, whether it's a pathogen or it's a chemical, or it's just these old belief patternings that just keep showing up for us. It's important to untether those as well. So I want to talk to the woman I may or may not be this woman and I may or may not have a lot of friends that are this woman who is the woman that makes everything okay. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's the woman that when, when someone doesn't handle something well, 
she makes it okay. When someone loses their temper, she makes it okay. When, when someone is late, really late, she makes it okay. When someone drops the ball on a responsibility, she makes it okay. I had this pattern in my life. I could see playing out in certain relationships. And I have friends who've had this pattern where our identity gets wrapped up in the person that just holds it all together for everyone and makes it okay. And at some point, we have to really start looking at what it's costing us to make it okay for everybody else. And it just really seemed appropriate as you were sharing about your experience with your mom to also speak to the woman who, you know, women do make a lot of things okay, right? We, we are wired with a brain and with the ability to multitask and we do hold a lot of things together, but there comes a time that, that sometimes it can be too much. And sometimes we're, we're tolerating so much from other people that we're, we're owning the responsibility that they should be owning. Right. And then it's stressing us out. So to the woman who is the one that makes it okay, I want to give you permission to not be the one that makes everything okay, because it really takes a toll on us. It takes a toll on our health, always having to be superwoman for everybody else. You know, we need to create some space for other people to lift up our arms and carry the burden so that we're also getting the support we need to. Yeah. Our mitochondria can only take so much of that. Only so much. They're just That's like, right. no more. No more. That's right. It gets overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. And there's this fear too that underlies that of like, if I'm not the one making it okay, what's gonna what's the fallout? You know, what happens when things start crumbling? And it's a really I'm not going to say that there aren't, there isn't going to be a fallout, but I know in, in my own instance, when I started realizing that I did, I didn't get near the support that I really needed in my life. There were some, there was a, a hard two year period of letting go and letting a lot of things burn up and fall away. And, you know, now I'm six years past that time, seven years past that time. And wow, what a difference in my life every day. And I know that a lot of that stress I was conditioned to take on and it wasn't serving me to hold that together. You know, it wasn't serving me to, to in the face of, I don't want anything to fall apart. I don't want anything to catch on fire. I don't want anything to blow up. Right. I'm, I'm basically sacrificing my body and my health. And, you know, sometimes we just need to count the costs a little bit differently maybe maybe the fire that's going to happen here in the next year or two isn't isn't the worst thing maybe the worst thing is continuing to sacrifice ourselves and dealing with serious debilitating diseases to the point that we can't help ourselves and people around us can't either because we haven't created a life that gives us any of the support we need yeah it can it can feel very lonely yeah too. It can feel really lonely. I, I absolutely have felt really lonely in my life because I was doing for everyone else. Yeah. I remember having an epiphany one time of, I need to see me. I, I, had, I had gone through this period of wishing that other people would see everything I was doing and everything I was sacrificing and feeling invisible, as you just said, and um, and actually... I needed to see me. I needed to stop making myself invisible by not speaking up, 
by fixing it for everybody else, by handling all the things all the time, right? So it's a it's a confronting area that I think as women, we all, most of us will need to look at, but man, there's a lot of liberation there and a lot of healing on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of self-love too. Yeah. You know, like that, that's that, you know, if we've been taught to put everyone first and, and sacrifice ourselves, because that's just the way it is for us. That's the mm-hmm. lot in life. If you're feeling crappy, I can't tell you how many times when I was feeling crappy early on, I would ask and my, I, every answer I got was, well, that's just the way it is. Yeah. That's just the way it is for women. Like that's just yeah. how it's going to be. And right. I was like, this doesn't, okay. All right. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm just going to sh- like shove down the, that, that, that thought of like, this doesn't seem right. Right. <laughs> but like, if that's how it's supposed to be, all right, let's just keep going. <laughs> and until you can't, you know, yeah. and, and, and that happens at all different ages for us. And it's usually the until you can't moment yeah. that you realize you're like, man, I really should have been, yeah, <laughs> I should have been paying attention to that earlier. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I, I think hopefully we're learning, especially as we take on more responsibilities that we just, we just deserve it. Yeah. I am a big fan of deserving, like women yeah. just deserve it, deserve yeah. the wins, deserve the self-love, deserve the recognition, deserve to put them first, put you first, um, because we deserve it, the nanny and the housekeeper and the whatever, you know, we're taking assistant. on all this responsibility and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We are. And, and at the end of the, and here's the thing, this is, this is the whole thing. The whole kit and caboodle is that you're never not going to keep doing for others. You're not. So at at least do for you too. Yeah. It's all going to keep coming back around to everybody else. Don't think that Mm -hmm. it's not because everyone's Mm going to keep asking for you. Yeah. You know, that's never going to, I bet my son is, is asking for, I bet he's asking for me right now. He's like, where is she? Where's where's the milk lady? Where does she go? When she comes down, I'll hear her down the stairs. You know what I'm saying? Like, ain't going to stop asking for stuff. (laughs) That's right. He's not, your husband's not, Alex isn't going to stop. mm -mm. I know he, I barely kicked him out of this room before should have heard him. Oh, well, but how do we got to do this? We got to do this. And I was like, can you just get out of here so I can get focused? I know. And the older I get, the more my mom asks. Oh yeah. The more oh, my yeah. siblings ask. Kind of mm-hmm. went through this period in my twenties and thirties where we all got really independent and went away. And now everyone's, everyone's got kids back. and now we all need each other more. Yes. Yep. That's right. Yeah. We need to put ourselves on the list. Yes. So yes, yes, it's important. I mean, we make decisions about food every day. And again, I always want to be thinking about like, well, what's going to be my future brain? I want to know what my future, my brain is going to be built off of salmon and salads, or it's going to be built off of nachos and, and ice cream. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I want that. What does that future brain look like? Um, But, but at the same time, what are your non-negotiables? What are the things that you have got to do for you? Not for nobody else, but for you, for me, that is walking every day by myself. Do not try to join me on my own walk. I don't need you all up in my ear you know, telling me this or that. Number two is, you know, loving up my body with, with foods that I love, then also meditating. Like those are the three non-negotiables for me. And if I don't do those consistently, you don't want to be around me. I'm not, I'm not my best self. This has been amazing. So many good nuggets in here. I hope that everyone listening is able to take some things away that you can start thinking about, apply right now, put yourself on your list 
consider getting a glucose monitor and see what's happening inside your body and um, and consider what you need to do to really get your health on the rails. You know, we've talked a little bit about testing and going deeper and looking for stuff. Make sure that you're that you're working with someone who can really help you figure some of this stuff out because lifestyle is super important. Like we're not going to heal without creating a great lifestyle. But I've learned the very hard way that oftentimes lifestyle is not enough. We also need the support of a really great practitioner and we need to run the right tests and figure out what's happening in our body. So this is good stuff, Marisa. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. You. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell everyone if they want to find more uh, information about you, where can they find you online? Absolutely. So I have a podcast that is literally fully devoted to women and helping them become the CEO of their health. Because at the end of the day, that's that's who we can rely on the most is ourselves. It's just, you know, that is the way it is. And then I also have books. They're all on Amazon, all, all eight of them. Um, and I have a great um, hormone um, recipe guide that I that are all of my favorite foods, super easy to make. Oh, I love easy. Um, and it, it focuses on metabolically healthy meals, loving your gut, liver, and balancing your blood sugar. You don't have to think about it. Um, You know, they're just easy to implement. So we can add that little guide in as well, if you like. Awesome. I love it. All right. We're going to have all this stuff linked in the show notes. You guys go check out Dr. Marisa and all her awesome stuff. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Oh, thank you. All right. I appreciate it. We'll see you guys soon. Bye for now. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you're feeling more empowered to overcome your flabby, foggy, and fatigued and to reclaim your life. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss any of our episodes. We have some awesome shows coming right up. I love reading your reviews and comments too. They inspire me and encourage other Rosies to hang out with us and learn all these amazing strategies for healing and living our best lives. Till next time, sister. Bye. Bye.